Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insights. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor in the studio with you this morning and our good friend from Training Pros who make this show possible, Mr. Dave Edelman. How are you, sir? Good morning, Stone. Very, very good. How are you? I've been doing well. Just saw you last week. Yep. Uh, have you gotten anything accomplished between then and now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see your list of two duns. <laughs> That's a good question. I have a few things, not as many as I would have liked to, but a few. So what's going on with Training Pros? You're still, you guys are doing a lot with the, uh, with the webinars, right? Yeah, yeah. We have another webinar coming up May 17th, Levels of Learner Activity, talking about, it's the actual, the third of this uh, ongoing series by uh, Andy Petrosky and Charles um, Palmer. And it is really fascinating. It's about story-based problems in, you know, using story-based problems in e-learning in order to engage the uh, learners. It's, it's pretty cool. Next one, it's May 17th at one o'clock. And you can sign up on our website. So That's, you probably have a lot of stories. <laughs> do. do they lean on you for t- content? <laughs> That's someone told, else's problem. I've been told that before, yeah. <laughs> now, I had a funny uh, uh, training pros learning insights story that okay. happened to me the other day. On LinkedIn, somebody um, you know commented on one of the things I wrote. And they checked out the website. And they're in learning and development in Ireland. Oh, cool. And so they found the show there. Awesome. Awesome. See we that? have an international audience now. <laughs> that is you just very nice. never know how people find the content and kind of learn from it. Cool. Very cool. And so can I tell him about the end run we did on him yesterday? Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? So, you know, we've had Jack Phillips on the show, which yeah. is a rock star in your world, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so we've interviewed him at conferences and trade shows. He's been in the studio, um, but his uh, people reached out yesterday because I don't know if you remember this about Jack, but he writes a book like every 24 minutes. Yes. And, and so he's coming in to talk about, so you want to write a book. So okay. uh, we went outside your little system and just booked him. Oh, excellent. But you're excellent. welcome to come hang out if you want. I would love, I will definitely listen to it for sure. <laughs> So, no, we love doing this show. We get a chance to meet so many bright, passionate folks. Uh, today's segment is going to be no exception. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast Director of Learning and Talent Development with eVestment, Ms. Michelle Schaff. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Michelle, before we get too far into this, can you share a little bit about eVestment? What do you guys do for folks? Sure. We are a, a software and data provider in the institutional investing space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're one of Atlanta's premier fintech companies. Uh, and there's quite a few. This uh, Atlanta's kind of a hub for fintech, isn't it? It is. Uh, and uh, we're headquartered in Atlanta, but we're very much a global company. We have offices in uh, New York, in Australia, Hong Kong, um, and also London, and a couple of people in Dubai. Uh, so, so a nice uh, global footprint. And fintech, that's financial technology, is that what it means? That's right. So they talked about your industry a little bit on the last 60-minute segment I saw. I may have missed this past Sunday, but and it was pretty rudimentary, you know, simple kind of reporting, but uh, there's a lot going on in your arena. There's a lot going on. And really prior to e-vestment, uh, this, is, this is hard to imagine, but 15 years ago when institutional investors, and those would be um, – you know, sovereign wealth funds, uh, university endowments, public right. pension plans. And these are people with billions, billions of dollars. Billions and billions right? of dollars. Uh, and obviously, they have very complex portfolios. Sure. 
billions of dollars to invest. Um, and so how they choose asset managers to, you know, invest their their portfolios is a very complicated process. And mm -hmm. until investment came along about 15 years ago, the process for um, selecting managers was very manual. There'd be, you know, a little more complicated this than this, but essentially sort of an, an RFP issued and some emails written saying, hey, could you send us your performance data and everything that we would need to know about your firm in order to make an and assessment? paper and so they would email <laughs> back all of these files uh and so the founders of the investment obviously uh realized this is pretty hey. inefficient uh and there could be a data database driven approach to this mm -hmm. where managers are happy happy to provide their data to uh, their potential clients and their potential clients are happy to have some pretty robust um, sophisticated software tools to be able to slice and dice that data and and make apples to apples comparison to managers. Um, so investment was kind of a leader in this very space? Very much, yes. Um, so all of the top investment consultants, about 80% of the top investment consultants in the world are our clients. And those are really in the institutional space. Uh, they're 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 the gatekeepers, mm -hmm. uh, not the decision makers. <laughs> they're typically making the recommendations, but um, they very much rely on our our data and our tools. Have you been with them long? Uh, I've been with Evestment for a couple of years, and prior to that, I was with Invesco, uh, so a financial services firm, also headquartered here in Atlanta. So where does the director of learning and talent development fit into this puzzle? Uh, that's a great question. We're, we're actually something of a standalone team. I report directly to the CMO. Oh, wow. To the uh, so, CMO. Mm -hmm. huh. The chief marketing officer. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, so that's an unusual organizational um, right. Isn't that structure. Unusual? It is unusual. So uh, what's the thinking behind that? Really, that the the CMO was the was the key visionary for saying at um, at the stage in the investments evolution from a startup in two thousand to where we are today, a premier um, services provider in this space that we really needed a robust um, learning and development function. And mm -hmm. because she was the executive sponsor for this idea, then she it became her problem. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're her problem. <laughs> So now, uh, as director of learning and talent development, those sound like two different things. So I think historically they have been, but I think increasingly the world is seeing that that talent management, talent development is what every company's kind of holistic human capital strategy needs right. to be. And so it includes, it really starts with uh, the employer brand and the employee value proposition through talent acquisition, through onboarding and bringing pre people on and ensuring that they're snapped into the right roles and then giving them adequate runway to kind of develop their careers and create a career paths. Is that, is that what you call learning agility? Or like, where does that learning agility fit into this so mix? So that's, that's related, but I think somewhat different. And I hope we get a chance to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I'd like to talk about it because I've okay. never heard that, right. that phrase before. So, Why don't you uh, educate us? It's, it's, you hear it a lot in our circles. Mm -hmm. I think Dave uh, would agree, but it's much more than a buzzword. And I think it's what companies are now, um, you know, let, let's, let's sort of look at the history of, 
of talent acquisition and say, initially we looked at, we want to make sure that you have the right skills and the right experience for the work we need you to do. And, so, and be a culture fit as well, right? Well, initially that was, that was initially people weren't necessarily looking at cultural fit. Then the next kind of stage was looking at cultural uh-huh. fit and saying, we, we're looking for a certain kind of attitudes and temperaments. Right. And so that was definitely part of the mix. Today, now we're looking at a third component. And I, I think of it as that we're almost looking for types of brains. We're thinking about the neuroscience of the people that we hire. And we're looking for a, a certain kind of mindset um, where people are oriented toward <coughs> growth. They're interested in developing their careers. They are either have already or will be able to cultivate high levels of self-awareness and sort of take charge of their careers. Um, and so that's a new that's a new thing that we've been thinking about in talent acquisition and talent development is this idea of learning agility. And then you're looking at it in terms of kind of the brain type of the individual and how that fits into their role or how it fits into holistically the entire company's corporate kind of DNA. It is. So there, there's some really interesting, you know, kind of the flagship research on this comes out of Stanford University and Dr. Carol Dweck, um, who, who really calls it a mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can, we can talk a little bit later about maybe the contrast that she um, poses between a, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Um, well, can you just define those terms? Sure. So a, a fixed mindset would be sort of an attitude or a way of perceiving yourself where you see yourself as kind of a known quantity. Like I am what I am. I am what I am. I Like Popeye. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But there's some really interesting unintended consequences that come out of that. And interestingly to me, um, we often see really, really very smart and very talented people in this bucket with a fixed mindset. What if you had to kind of put a percentage of the population, what percent has that, do you know? So that's interesting. And I, I, I don't know, but I would guess, uh, is that, that the these, majority or is that, I think they sort of break down probably roughly equal halves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's if, the majority at my family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll tell you. So if it, with a fixed mindset, um, each, <clears throat> challenge that comes along is an opportunity to prove yourself and prove how smart and capable you are. So that's how that person with that mindset looks at a challenge? Right. It's, okay, here's something I can show how smart I am. Exactly. Um, And so on the face of it, that seems like really nice set of attributes to have. They're going to get it done, right? Yes, they're going to get it done. Um, But it also leads to some interesting other behaviors that aren't quite so desirable. The unintended consequences (laughs) of that? (laughs) So, for example, I'm not too keen maybe on postmortems, looking back and looking at a project that maybe didn't go so well. Right. Or a time where I achieved suboptimal results. And I'm not so enthusiastic about looking at that and diagnosing that. It may not be so open to feedback because, again, I'm thinking primarily about proving myself and right. proving that I already am the capable person that I need to be. A growth mindset, in a way, um, really starts with a kind of vulnerability. Right. And in it, to be able to raise your hand and say, well, I don't know. Right. I can try to figure it out, though. But I, I'm not absolutely 100% confident that I'm, I know the solution. So right they're out more of the pliable. Box. 
more pliable, mm-hmm. more agile. Right. Uh, and so more oriented toward growth, more able to learn from failures. And they're more comfortable in the chaos of kind of... Yeah, are they better? Or they, do they embrace change better, faster? So I think yeah, all of those things is, is part of what agility means <clears throat> and being able to pivot, um, not... Uh, well, being able to assume a little more risk and a little more uh, calmly. Self-awareness is a huge piece of it. And also this... No, vulnerability may seem like a strange word to use. I'm kind of melding Dweck here with Brene Brown and others who are, <laughs> you know, all about the vulnerability in the workplace. But there is uh, something that I see quite a lot as a director of learning or, or some people are just not comfortable raising their hands and saying, I don't know. And going to a training program is kind of an implicit way (laughs) (laughs) of saying, I have something to learn here. Um, And so for some people, that's an uncomfortable position to be in um, at work. So now, um, are you saying that one is better than the other? Or is it something that it just, the way that it is, there's two kind of sides to this coin. And and you as kind of a leader in the organization, you got to kind of figure out a way to get the most out of each one of those. I'll bet at investment, one is better than the other. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? I guess in my world view, (laughs) one is, um, let's say one is more advantageous than the other. Um, When when you look at, uh, you know, trends in, in the workplace, there are a few things, you know, increasingly companies are more and more flat. Right. Which means that what happens over time is people don't get elevated to new roles. It's that their existing role sort of expands. Yeah. Right. But they have also a lot of autonomy, right? That they have to be kind of responsible right. for themselves. Right. Um, so there's that. And also just the fact of globalization. So investment, we're a, we're a small company under 500 associates, but again, very all over the world and all over right. the world. And so when you work with, you know, in global markets with global colleagues, there's a constant learning curve. Um, and so to me, it's just advantageous in your own career path to try to learn about this growth mindset and to do some things to start cultivating it and to develop a different attitude about about challenges and learning rather than arriving as sort of a fixed known quantity that already has all the skills and knowledge that you'll need forever. But is that just, if, if it's a mindset, is that like kind of you're stuck with it if you have it? Or can you move and you know, do the best you can. I mean, I personally believe, and I think there's really good research to back this up, that once you're aware of the mindset, once you're aware, if if you've got these fixed behaviors and attitudes, that you are able to kind of change them. So it's not permanent. Well, that's encouraging, right? But I I suspect that's an ongoing effort, right? So much that you would have to lean heavily on the the internal communication dynamic. I mean, you got to keep sending those messages a lot of different ways for different people to reinforce it, right? That's exactly right. And and you, you know, part of our work at Evestment is creating uh, a charged and exciting learning environment where learning isn't mm. threatening. Learning is certainly not punitive, uh, something mandatory right. that you have to do. Uh, we try but no, that's the it, way it is in a lot of organizations, yes, right? And I know true. that's not the intent, but just if we're if we're realistic about it, Dave, you chime in on this as well. Oh, yeah. It becomes that way where it is almost 
punitive. Mm. I mean, yeah. I so just to you know, gross stereotype that our friends who are in, you know, have to do compliance training. But to me, um, compliance <laughs> training, you know, is the stereotype that many right. people have in their minds. It's about like, what look, I got to do it. I got to power right. through this and check all the right. boxes right. and get it done. I worked for a company where the, a VP came by the classroom and heard laughing and told the training department, no no laughing in the classroom. Yeah, no fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have fun. That goes against our... Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So now, um, so is your work trying to... Do you spend most of your time trying to get the person that has that fixed mindset to be more nimble or agile? Or do you spend your time just trying to get the you know, just kind of spread the word of the gospel of agility? Well, what's really great for me personally is is that at our firm, the all of the senior leadership team and the founders are completely, uh, they're strong learners themselves. So lifelong so, learners, they've already kind of, I mean, is that luck or you think that just the corporate culture attracted the type of mindset to the organization? I think it's, I think it, it's, it's absolutely why we've been so successful and why they're right. the entrepreneurs that they are is because they, they have this appetite for trying new things from learning through experimentation, um, developing high levels of self-awareness, ability to, um, you know, agilely pivot as conditions change. And so all of those terrific habits that make a great learner, you often see in great entrepreneurs. Right. And uh, I suspect you and the people who are responsible for bringing new people on board have begun to develop an eye for this, right? You, you see some signs a, or you have a, a test? test or? <laughs> you, yeah. Actually, as we speak, we are looking uh, and, and thinking about using some learning agility assessments as part of our um, talent acquisition strategy, we're not doing that today, but we're we're very serious about this being a key um, component right. to what we're looking for. The um, Edelman Agility Index. I like. It. <laughs> <laughs> can you get that knocked out over the Dave, weekend? Can you email Come on, me that that later today? Let me make a note here. Put it on my to do list. Now, do you think, like culturally, because you are a global organization, is that uh, certain cultures are more? open to this than others? Or you think this is just a human behavior that is out there? Uh, you know, that is very interesting. One of the summer learning programs that we're working on is cross-cultural communication. Um, I think there are cultural components to this. I would say that uh, American mindsets may not necessarily be the very highest um, on the learning index. In terms of agility? Well, yes. And in, in, well, maybe in terms of the fixed mindset that there may be a little more competitive edge where I'm out to prove right. um, my ability rather mm. than saying, you know, I have a lot to learn. Um, so I think there are definitely cultural factors that, that need to be taken into account. I'm looking forward to um, working with my colleagues in London to kind of untangle this for our own programming and investment. So how does the content, um, the the curricula development, how do you decide what you're going to train and when you're going to train it? Does that come from you and your group and then you go to senior leadership and say, we think we ought to do this? Or does it come down to you from them or a little bit of both? So uh, it, it always comes the same way, which is we have some seemingly intractable problem we need to solve. Uh -huh. and we have a, a suboptimal business result that we don't like. Mm -hmm. And so we try to unpack that and analyze what's going on here, what are our problems. And then and they say, let's just have Michelle fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle handle <Hanley. laughs> Well, I... 
I do think there's almost always a learning component to it. There's mm-hmm. almost always a skill or knowledge gap that may not be the complete root cause of the problem, but there's almost always a learning piece. Uh, and so that means that I get to work on some really fun and complicated um, projects. But can you share a little bit about how you kind of dig deep enough to get to the root cause so that the learning is aligned with the behavior or the outcome that you desire? Um, I think a good example might be a huge initiative that we're working on now. We're about uh, sort of six months into it, but we expect it to be about a five-year initiative, um, and it's a focus on the client experience and mm-hmm. doing a better job of understanding our clients' um, experience. Our our products are very complicated. Um our clients have very complicated businesses, so what, how they use our products is, is a whole very complicated right. situation. Um, so there's a lot to learn. We're sort of teasing this apart and looking at, from a learning perspective, how do we develop our, our client experience capabilities in-house? Um, how do we bring in external learning resources to kind of get client experience and a client orientation into the air and water. Right. And in addition, where it's it's some very uh, tactical training as well on how to do better VOC, how to document your VOC results, how to report on those results. And so this is a good example of kind of a multifaceted business problem um, and these 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 learning components and where you can that get plug in the learning it. components mm-hmm. where it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just by virtue of the fact that you are making a a uh, pretty substantial investment in collecting this voice of the customer information, suggests to me that you're quite serious about creating a culture of agility. It has mm-hmm. it goes back to that mindset that you talked about earlier. In terms of delivery, being a global company, it, it seems like that could get very cumbersome. Time-consuming, expensive. Has technology helped in any regard in that? Or so we uh, use kind of a flipped classroom approach. We almost always start any learning initiative with something online. It's all, all always mobile um, enabled. But we we also want you to kind of take the first initiative. We want to see that the associates are owning this and uh-huh. and have yeah. the mo- have the have the motivation to start on their learning path. So uh, we do a couple of things differently. One is that we start with online rather than start with a classroom. We also Hmm. make significant um, use of practice tests. So we believe, and there are a lot of new books out about testing as really the way to make learning stick, but we use tests um, developed by our subject matter experts to kind of set the bar up here and say, you need some way to determine how knowledgeable you are about this right. topic or this tool or whatever. And how, then you get like a how baseline. How would you ever know? Right. So you-, so you take this test and it's not designed to trip you up or as a certainly not a checkbox exercise, but it's a designed to give you kind of immediate real-time feedback are you knowledgeable or not? And then they realize maybe I'm not as smart not as, as I think. <laughs> not maybe I don't right. know quite that, as much as I Then all those fixed it. thinkers mm-hmm. just hit the road, right? <laughs> so <laughs> then, uh, then they print out the results. Now they have a roadmap for right. what they know and what they don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And we make sure that they have resources mm-hmm. and experiences to kind of fill in those knowledge gaps. Where we do have um, ILTs and instructor-led training that are live events. Um, we do broadcast them globally, and we almost always um, craft them around business simulations. 
So teams are working. So like a real life, mm-hmm. not just some theoretical. Right. No, yeah, no lecture with small right. discussion or right. something like that. It's always a, here's a scenario. And frankly, you know, a lot of the learning comes from reading through the scenario and kind of being able to understand what the actual problem our clients are facing would be. So I haven't asked this question on this show in quite some time, but given your mindset, given the culture of your organization, I think you might give me license to do it. You don't have to, <laughs> okay. but I'm going to ask it. I wonder if you would be willing to share a mistake that you've made at some point in your career and what you feel like you learned from it. And I know I didn't prep you to, to answer that question, but I just get the sense that, that maybe you'd be willing to to share something like you that. You said the word vulnerable several yeah. times. Right. So we're we're kind of calling you on it. <laughs> you know, uh, so I guess in a way, this isn't a cop-out answer because I really genuinely mean this and I say this all the time. This What's really fun about our work is that we're never 100% successful. So every single project <laughs> I like has an element of uh, failure and that's to me you know, the that's art, okay. The art, right? well, the, it, but it's the art part of this. I mean, learning and communicating with people and helping people take charge of their own careers and find their own paths right. and how to leverage their strengths and all of that is just not formulaic. And so, for every single rollout, you know, part of it works and part of it doesn't work. And we try to carefully figure out why didn't this work. How can we do this differently? How can we get some feedback to get um, more line of sight? So you do some sort of a post-mortem after these initiatives Mm -hmm. in order to kind of have that learning. And then so you're better a little bit the next time. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, not everyone doesn't like everything. And so there's always ample (laughs) rich feedback to learn. Rich feedback. I like that. It's good job security for you, it sounds like. I'm not arguing with you, honey. I'm giving you rich feedback. (laughs) But no, I I sense that there is a distinct prerequisite for accepting and expecting personal accountability at your shop. I mean, without personal accountability, none of the the whole opera falls apart, doesn't it? That's Yes. And and I, I, yeah, we do some career development sessions several times a year um, for our uh, younger, less experienced associates and certainly our new ones. And um, we, we, we just underscore this over and over again, that you have to create your own career path you have to be imaginative about what that might look like. We will never at our firm kind of prescribe career paths that you're analyst one and then you're going to be analyst two and then you're right. going to move from this group to that group um, that we don't believe that works. We're not going to go to all the hassle to kind of do this perfect engineering that kind of falls apart. Um, but what we want you to figure out is, you know, do you want to be a thought leader or do you want to be a people leader? Do you want to move up in your function or do you want to have more broad exposure to our business? Um, Do you want to stay in largely the same role and kind of spiral outward so that you're continually bringing on more responsibilities? I mean, there are lots of different ways to design a career and you're the only expert on you. So we're here to help you figure that out. But ultimately, you own this. 
And if you can't, we'll help you free up your future. <laughs> <laughs> and bring the future a little closer to you. <laughs> so speaking of the future, uh, what can you tell us uh, that would not be proprietary uh, that, the, that the organization is up to? And or what do you have coming down the pike in the, in the next few months that you're going to be investing the vast majority of your time and energy on? Uh, that's a great question. We have a lot of really exciting things going on. Um, I'm just going to open a whole can of worms here at the end that we probably won't have time to talk about. But um, one of the things that my group has done has just launched a new um, internal communications channel. So we basically tried to kill off mm. our intranet and we have established this internal comm channel. It's very media rich and kind of, you know, technically sophisticated, very cool looking um, but our idea is that through really top-notch, very targeted communications, we embed learning in everyday work. So you're sneaking it in. So it sounds like a Trojan cool. horse. Right. It's a Trojan horse. This is, uh, <laughs> this is exactly right. You've heard of bite-sized, like micro-learning. This is, this is not even standing alone as learning. It's embedded in your regular nice. workflow. Mm -hmm. um, and so just in the course of kind of finding out what's going on, you're learning more about, uh, about our business, about our products, uh, and about our clients. It sounds like an exciting future to me. It sounds like a, a, a fun place to work. It really is. It's a fantastic place. Uh, and I feel very lucky to, to get to work with leaders who are <clears throat> so keen on really developing a whole a learning organization, not just a learning function. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier that you report to the CMO. Mm -hmm. In your history and your career, that seems to be unusual. Mm -hmm. Now, can you talk a little bit about pros and cons of reporting to a CMO as opposed to another uh, executive? Uh, to me, what matters is that I want to work for a visionary. So That I, believes it, yeah. Ryan. Where where you sit in the organizational it's less structure, not not to me. Uh, so, uh, and in Vesco, I reported to the a global head of people strategy, mm -hmm. um, and then before that, I was a consultant, so I reported to myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the as long as a person has a vision and then the belief that learning is important, it doesn't matter what their title is. I I, I think that's exactly right. Well, I like it when you're sitting here. This has really been an enlightening conversation and very encouraging. Uh, Dave, I can I can see why you wanted us to visit with her. Thank, you're, you're batting a thousand. Man. You're doing it. You're doing a great job, Michelle. This has been an absolute delight. Thanks so much for having me. We have thoroughly enjoyed. We got to have you come back sometime, great, get us updated because I can tell it's agile yeah. as you guys are. You'll have new stuff. That's this right. Short time. We'll, There's we'll never have... a dull moment. That's I'm right. Sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Until then, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights.